Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, as we're transitioning, uh, look, I know that um, you know Presbyterians can sometimes just we just pres- we presbyter right and. I've known people who have said that um, as far as just like time, how we do it on time, um, you know, the fact that we publish the schedule here, that worship begins at 10 a.m., and if we begin at 10.01 or 10.02, then I am, that we are breaking uh, the ninth commandment, and so uh, we're not doing too well on that. Um, so, and also the same thing with the ending time, like if we're, we're, we're lying and that's not a good thing. So, so I've been told by some people. Um, and so knowing that, I, I want you to let y'all know. So 12 years ago, the youth bought me this, this watch. It was like a Suunto watch. And uh, I've had that watch for 12 years. Well, this past week it broke. And so I have no clue what time it is. Um, and I know that thing is like a generally tells me, but, um, just, Let's just be present for, for a little while during the sermon, okay? Don't, don't worry about uh, what we're having for lunch. Um, I promise it won't be super long, but um, so just bear, bear with me, okay? I'll probably do this of like, there's no watch. Um, so Louis Capaldi, I think that's how you say it. Louis Capaldi is a Scottish singer uh, who at the age of 18 was catapulted to fame. Um, prior to that, he's just this kid uh, who who hadn't, he'd written like a handful of songs, and so he wanted to play his songs for whoever would listen to them, and so he couldn't even drive yet, so his dad would pack him up, and his dad would take him to whatever pub or club or coffee house that would let someone like him perform. Well, one of those songs went, went viral, and within two years, uh, he released his first album, he was nominated for Song of the Year, and then he won the Brit Award for the Best New Artist, all in two years. I mean, his star was, was definitely on the rise. But then, as always happens, it came for him to work on his second album. And though he had, he'd won all these awards, uh, he became paralyzed uh, by what's called imposter syndrome. Uh, he became convinced, just deep in his bones, that his previous success was some sort of fluke, uh, that he, he didn't have what it took to maintain that. He doubted his skills, he doubted his voice, he doubted his songwriting abilities, and he became petrified that when he released his second album that it, it would just be obvious to all the world that he was a complete fraud. Complete fraud. And so in a recent documentary, he was talking about sharing this fear he had of that he was an imposter. He didn't belong there. And uh, two other great songwriters, Ed Sheeran and Elton John, stepped in, reminding him of who he truly was as a musician. And it was very healing for him to be, be reminded, no, 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 you do belong here. You are a great songwriter. Okay. Well, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, though Luke 15 is divided into three different parables uh, in our modern Bibles, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the lost we could call it the lost son, uh, in reality, or sons, in reality, when Jesus taught it, it was really just one parable, just one flow, one complete parable with one unified point. But because Jesus knows that Scottish songwriters aren't the only people who suffer from imposter syndrome, um, you know, as, as Christians, 
we too have a tendency to forget who we are and whose we are. You know, we, we can read about God's staggering love towards sinners and think, I don't, I don't know if he's talking about me. You know, to say, I don't know who Jesus is seeking and finding and loving and saving, but it can't possibly be me. Surely it's someone else. And so to talk us off of the ledge of our own spiritual imposture syndrome, Jesus, he had one, one point with three different pictures to remind us and to remind us and to remind us that he is the one who came to seek and find and save sinners, yes, even sinners like you and even sinners like me. And so with that, um, let's pray, and then we'll dive in to see one more time that in Christ we are not frauds or losers, uh, but we are forgiven and loved. So let's pray. Father, now as we come to your word, uh, may you take this time. Lord, we, we, we give this time to you. Um, Lord, may you come in this space and come into our hearts. And though we've heard the gospel up ten thousand times, may we hear it afresh this morning and may it be sweet. Uh, may, may we find your gospel message to be balm. A balm to our hurting souls, to our wandering souls. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And by the way, what a, a, a beautiful summary of Jesus' ministry. He receives sinners, he eats with sinners. Verse 3, so he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I've lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's word. So, but before we even get to Jesus' teaching, we've already seen something super extraordinary here. You know, if we remember the ancient context, we'll see that, that this is one of those, those oh, oh no, he didn't type moments with Jesus. Because Jesus isn't just challenging the religious leaders, this is Jesus subverting and restoring something the ancient culture had missed. And, and here's what I mean. I know we've, we've talked about this before, but during Jesus' time, uh, rabbis and Pharisees had this very particular prayer that they would typically begin their day with. This was kind of their morning routine. Uh, they would wake up in the morning or sometime throughout the day, they would, they would pray, Blessed art thou, O God. Okay, well, why are we blessing the Lord? Blessed art thou, O God, for not making me a Gentile, for not making me a slave, and for not making me a woman. 
And that was their daily prayer. <laughs> and that was at the very heart of the religious culture of the day. And so we see that women um, was something that you were prayed not to be, right? Women had very little rights. They existed in the shadows. And even in the temple, if y'all are familiar with how the temple was laid out, <laughs> there were places they couldn't go. I mean, like, like men could literally get closer to God than women could. Uh, they could literally get closer to the Holy of Holies. And in that context... Jesus used this story about losing a coin very intentionally. Well, how do we know that? Well, you know how today sometimes, uh, y'all have seen this, preachers will use like all the same illustrations, like the same guy comes through here five times and you hear the same illustration. Like, like you know, there's always the, the in illustration. Remember a decade ago, it was the rose illustration by Matt Chandler. Y'all have heard that one, I'm sure. I have this, if we have a guest preacher, sometimes I have this little internal bet with myself of, of like what quotes of C.S. Lewis he, he's going to use. Um, okay, well, in Jesus' day, like this, this whole lost coin thing, this was one of the go-to, very common, very popular illustration. But when the rabbis used it, they didn't talk about women. No, it was always about a man who lost a little coin. And then this man looked, and he looked, and he looked until he found it. And so the teaching or the application was how that man searched for that lost coin is the same tenacity in which faithful Jews are called to search the Torah for hidden treasures within. So that's how we, that's how we search Scripture. Okay, But for Jesus to take this common illustration and intentionally change it from a man to a woman's lost coin would have been a major mic drop moment. It's an in-your-face reminder that Jesus doesn't just seek women, or doesn't just seek men, and women, good luck. I hope you make it. But it's a reality check that Jesus cares as much about women as he cares about men. And you know, what's interesting is this is, a, this is the culture that the Apostle Paul grew up in, and, and in that prayer we just mentioned would have been a prayer that Paul would have been well acquainted with. That he would, he would have prayed, Lord, thank you that, I, that you did not make me a Gentile. Did you not make me a slave? Did you did not make me a woman? And so it's interesting, isn't it, that after Jesus like, saved Paul, it's not about religion anymore. This is about the, the new man, Paul, uh, that Paul would use the framework of that old prayer that he would have prayed countless times to redefine who we are in Christ. Uh, what did he say in Galatians 3? He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I, look, I know this is common knowledge today, but we can't skip over just how radically inclusive Jesus' teaching was, because unlike other rabbis during their, his day that, that taught specifically to their little select group of students, Jesus is going out of his way to make sure he is teaching and reaching the entire, the entire audience. And so just take the Gospel of Luke, for example. As you'll read, you'll notice that they're doing something intentional. You know, you'll see that in these situations where two miracles are performed or two stories are told or two uh, parables or, or, or examples are given, and one of them almost always is specifically geared towards women. You know, first Jesus healed the centurion's servant, then the next thing you know, he's raising the widow's son, right? It's, it's teaching about the, the sign of Jonah and using the example of the men of Nineveh and the, the queen of the south. 
You know, Jesus performed two miracles on the Sabbath. One was a man with dropsy. We talked about that. And the other was a woman who was bent over by a disabling spirit. We also talked about that. Jesus told two parables about the kingdom of God. One was about a man who worked in his garden sowing the, the mustard seed and how awesome the mustard seed is, right? And then the, the, the other picture was about a woman in her kitchen uh, mixing leaven into a dough, you know, about the kingdom. And skeptics can say what they want about Jesus, but the Jesus we see in the gospel is not a male chauvinist. Uh, in his culture, he went out of his way to restore dignity to women and to remind them that they belong in the kingdom just as much as any of his people do. Okay, so with that little background established, what's Jesus getting at with this lost coin business? Well, a few takeaways this morning. And so first, we're just going to look at the coin, okay? In the coin, first, Jesus is giving us a vivid picture of the state of our soul without him. You know, a lost coin is just going to, to stay lost, right? A, a, a fallen uh, register is just going to stay a fallen register. Uh, it, it can't will itself to, to come back up where it belongs up here. No, for it to be, to be, to be moved, I, someone has to pick it up and, and place it back. A coin can't just climb up off the floor and put itself back in a purse, you know, which explains why this, this woman was so dead set on searching for her coin. If her coin was to be found, it was going to have to be found by her. Well, like that, because of the fall, because of our sin, we, we too are helplessly lost. And just like this coin, we can't find ourselves. Uh, we will remain lost until we are found by God. But second, we also see something really breathtaking in this coin. Even though the coin was, was helplessly lost, we also see that it still had immense value to the woman. You know, back then, housewives, so I'm told, housewives often kept all of their money, their coins, you know, coins back then had a, had a, a little circle in, in between, a hole in it. Um, and so they would run a string or a chain through there, and so they would keep it usually around their neck or somewhere on their person. And these 10 coins would have represented her life savings. I mean, this is her emergency fund, her 401k, her IRA, her grocery money, all rolled into one. It was, it was far too valuable to lose just one. And so once one was lost, like, it, it had to be found. Like, we, we can't just like, oh, okay, it's fine. Like, it has to be found. And what's more is, even if that silver coin became tainted or dirty during its lostness to its owner, it still retained value. It was still immensely valued. It was still precious. And so it is with us, right? This thought that you are too unclean, that you are too filthy for God to love you, is straight up from the pit of hell. And what we see here is no matter how ruined or how worthless you may feel because of your sin, no matter how much shame we carry to God, you were, you were made precious in His image. And no matter how dirty you are, in Christ, you are God's prized possession. Besides, what did we just sing, right? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Third takeaway from, with the coin. Did you notice that when the coin was lost, even when it was lost, it still belonged to the woman? And this is so, so important. 
And Westminster, even in our lostness, if, if our name is written in the book of life, then, then even in our utmost prodigal depravity, even there we still belong to God. And God always finds all who are His. So that's this coin, which then brings us to the other player in the parable. Um, in this woman, so point two, sub point one of two, uh, in this woman we, we see that, that we have a seeking God, that we have a seeking God. You know, every other religion in the world is really about man's attempt to bridge the gap to get to God. But with Christianity, and really Christianity alone, we see that it is about God's search for us. Remember in the parable of the sheep, Jesus spared no time, no sacrifice in going to pursue that lost sheep. And once he found his lost sheep, he put it over his shoulders and he carried it back home. When this parable, Jesus is teaching us about the thoroughness and the intentionality of his search for his people. So in, in Jesus' day, most homes were about the size of a one-car garage. Uh, they were very dark. Not a lot of light came in. Typically, the floors were dirt uh, covered with straw. So if you can imagine, if you drop anything on that floor in the dark, fl dirty floor covered in straw, like it's gone. Like, you'd probably never find that thing, right? Um, this, week, <laughs> this week, I saw a study that was kind of depressing, saying that over a lifetime, of the average person, over your lifetime, you will spend six months of your life looking for lost things. You know, that six whole months just looking for lost things. And they'll say, that is unless you're in my family, in which it is just a way of life for us. It is every day. For us. It is a lifetime of searching for lost things. Um, well, imagine how it was then. You know, I mean, you, you, you drop your wedding ring, you drop your whatever, you drop your remote. I mean, you drop it on a floor covered with straw and hay and... Dude, you're, it's gone. And yet notice the degree to which the woman goes to find her coin. It's, it's like that time Annie, <laughs> Annie lost her car keys. And we only have like one, one car key, by the way. Uh, lost her car keys on the soccer fields. That was fun. Um, or the time she lost it in Walmart. Uh, or the time she lost it in a marketplace or Finchers or all over town. You know, in those moments... And y'all have been here, right? Like, once you look, like, everything in your life stops, right? I mean, your highest, pri it doesn't matter what's going on. The highest priority is finding that thing, right? Maybe you've been like that with your cell phone, or you're like, I got to find that thing. So that's how this woman is. Like, whatever's going on, this, this woman, she, she stops. She lights a lamp. She sweeps her entire floor, which would have been a huge undertaking, removed the straw, got down, looked through the cracks, the corners. She's looking in the dust, diligently combing every square inch of that place until she found what was lost. And so it is with Jesus. And what we see in this parable is he is so diligent. And so thorough in seeking to find his lost people. You know, we can never say, I just don't know if Jesus can find me. I don't know if Jesus can find so-and-so. Uh, what we see here is no matter how dark or how deep or how hidden they've become, uh, he will stop at nothing until they, until we are found. Writer Anne Lamont described her experience of being lost and getting found like this. She said Jesus was relentless, absolutely relentless. She said, I didn't experience him as so much as the hound of heaven as the description has it. 
but more as the alley cat of heaven who seem to believe that if it just keeps showing up and mewling outside the door, you'd eventually open up and give it a bowl of milk. She said, I resisted as long as I could, like Sam I am and green eggs and ham. I just wasn't interested. But Jesus wore me out. She says, I was tired and vulnerable, and he won. Then when, then when I, was a, I was dozing, a tiny kitten that I was, he picked me up like a mother cat by the scruff of my neck and deposited me in a little church. That's where I was when I came to, and then I came to believe. Relentless search, which then brings us to the great theme of this parable, these parables. <laughs> Jesus said when the woman found her lost coin, she called together her friends to rejoice, and so they did. This is just a quick aside, just what a picture of friendship, right? I know we live in a very competitive world, and um, a lot of times some of our, quote, friends, when we found something that was lost or we have something to celebrate, they're probably low-key jealous, and they probably don't want to rejoice with you. But what a picture of friendship uh, to rejoice Uh, when your friend has something to rejoice in. And then here's the punchline of the teaching, verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay. Well, as we close, just a a few, few applications, okay? So we start winding down. First... Just a a reminder that though this is a beautiful picture of Jesus's, of, of how he seeks the lost, this parable is ultimately a rebuke towards religious people. Jesus is really talking against the people who are so smug in their self-righteousness. And so this is a call out because us Southern Christians can so easily slip into this. I mean, can't we give us a successful put together, beautiful, self-righteous person, and we won't even bat an eye in the church. Like, we'll roll out the red carpets or carpet for them and say, welcome. You'll fit right in in our self-righteous country club church. But then to have an actual publicly known sinner show up, and it's like, (laughs) what are we going to do, right? Uh, What are we going to do with this person? And it's easy for the Pharisee in us to rise up and to think, oh, look, it's okay you're here. But if you're going to join us, you've got to be like us. You know, we've got it all sorted out. And once you get it all sorted out, then, then you can be a part of us. Okay, and I know culturally that can be prevalent in just the church in America. But in this parable, Jesus is saying, look, if that's you, then you are the lost one. And Jesus says, whatever you're doing, it's not my church that you're doing. Instead of saying, be like us, shouldn't we be saying, have we got a Jesus for you? Because apart from his seeking and and his saving grace, we're all lost. And, And so when any sinner is found, the response of a true believer isn't, okay, now you got to be like me. Because I don't like the way you look and I don't like the music you like. and like, you got to be like us. No, the response is praise the Lord. Now let's follow our Savior together. So when we don't rejoice when others are saved, the, the, the spirit of the Pharisee is there. 
And Jesus is calling us to repent of that. Okay? Our second application, if you have been found, Jesus has saved you, then, then he calls you to join the search party. Um, you know, I know many of you have, have been through this, but I know for myself, having had kidney cancer, I find myself having a heart for others who are diagnosed with kidney cancer. You know? Well, in the same way, when, when you know that you were lost, Jesus also gives you a heart for the lost, and if you don't, then you are either at best woefully unaware or at worst just pridefully self-righteous if you have no desire for the loss. And so the application here would be just ask the Spirit to fan that into a flame, to really give you a heart for the loss. And I don't, I don't mean to be so down on the American church, but man, consumerism makes it so easy for us to, to make us think what we're called to do as the church is we, you know, we come together and we sing a few songs and we listen to a sermon and we drink some church coffee, we pat each other on the back, and we wait for the next opportunity to do it again next week. That's, that's church. And we've become ingrown. As Alistair Begg said, we can think, us four, no more, close the door. But is there a desire in, in your heart to go to that one? Because we all have that one, right? That, that one. To go to that one, whoever it is, in the name of Jesus. Is anyone here who, like William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, who, along with others during his day, said, some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell? A heart for the lost. Because Jesus is always searching. So this week I heard a story about this pastor up in uh, Toronto, uh, Ontario, um, and, and he, he pastors this Iranian congregation. His name is Pastor Sam Nasser. And uh, he, was, he was preaching, to, he's preaching in Persian to his Iranian congregation when he noticed that during his sermons, it's like, you know, there's always like cell phones going off during things. Like, but he noticed it was this woman like talking like on the phone, her, his whole sermon. And so he thought, how rude. And he's like, he, he arranged a meeting with this woman um, to come and let's, let's talk about what's going on with the cell phone. And uh, when he did, he found that she said, uh, Pastor, since I became a Christian, my husband in Iran is very interested in learning and listening to your sermons to see what's going on. So I bought a calling card and I called my husband in Tehran so he can hear. And so he puts the call on the speakerphone so that my mother and my sister can also hear it too. And they've been inviting friends and family over. And for the past three months, they've been listening to you preach. I'm just holding the phone to my ear. I'm just holding my phone up so that they can hear your message about Jesus. Well, of course, the pastor's super humbled, right? Humbled. And so the next Sunday, um, of course, he, he invited this, this lady up to the front so that she, she could hear better through her phone. And... Um, so the story goes, a few weeks later, uh, at the end of the service, Pastor Nasser asked if someone felt the call to come to Christ. And, and suddenly the woman from the front row with her cell phone started shouting out, my husband, my, hus my husband just got saved. And my sister and my mother want to come to the Lord too. Well, as Phil Riken put it, even if Jesus does it over a cell phone, Halfway around the world, he is looking for lost sinners. He is looking for them every time someone preaches or teaches or shares the gospel. 
which Westminster is happening right now. Okay? Jesus is calling you. Sinner, come home. And with that invitation, let us pray. Jesus, may we hear of what you've done for us on the cross and in seeking us and saving us and finding us and say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Father, may the gospel be sweet. Uh, may it be sweet to us. May it be life-giving and life-transforming. Well, Father, now as we come to your table and we're transitioning from, from hearing your word to actually seeing your word in a tangible way, uh, your grace to us through communion, we ask that you would take these, these common everyday elements and that you would set them apart to be a means of grace to your people, to make us more and more like Jesus Uh, more and more unable to just mortify sin, to kill sin. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.